This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime viewers. We are learning tonight for Lefuashlema to Yechazkel Ben Sila and Lefuashlema to Yisrael Meir Ben Daphna Buya. They should have both a speedy, speedy recovery and anybody else that needs a Lefuashlema. Okay. Let us begin. So we are on class number four of the 13 Principles of Faith. Now, um, I actually want to do it through a, a, a very, very, very quick, like less than one minute on the first four of the 13 Principles of Faith, and then I need to clarify something from last week. Okay, so first of all, let's jump right in. The, the, before we begin, I think I have to say this every time, it is so important, these 13 Principles of Faith, you, you have to go, you have to understand it, you have to know it, you have to believe in these, because if you don't, then you lose the foundation of Judaism, you lose everything, and in many of these instances, if you don't believe it or you deny any of these things, you lose your share in the world to come which we spoke about in the second class, you know, in great length, or minim, medium length, I guess, uh, the severity and the necessity of, of, these, of these certain principles. Okay, so of the 13 principles, the first one, the first one is that sim, just a simple thing as God exists, that God exists. The God we know, God is the creator, and not only God is the creator, God also is mani, God oversees everything. Number two, we said that God is one. Now, what do we mean by God is one? Sometimes we have bad things happen and good things happen to us. The source of everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. Number three, we said that God, God does not have a goof, doesn't have a body. God, and we also went a step further. We said not only does God does not have a body, He's not spiritual and He's not physical. Spirituality is a creation. Torah is a creation. God was, is, is something that above and beyond it. The, um, the real, real uh, focus over here is that God has no physical body. Spiritual is like an extra step, but the God does not have a physical body. You cannot picture God with any type of physicality, otherwise it's a very, very big problem. Number four is that God is the first and God is the last, which means that God preceded everything and will... What is it afterwards? We'll be there when everybody's gone. There's probably another word for that, but I don't know. But anyways, uh, God is the first and God is the last. Okay, that was the brief part. Last week we spoke about prayer. Now, I'm surprised. The way, when I... Um, yeah, last week, the, like a few days after I gave the class, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what, I don't think I was so clear. And I may have not presented something so clear, so I want to clarify a few things. So first of all, let's do a very, very brief overview of what we spoke about last week, because I think last week was a very, very important topic about prayer. Now, the, you know, the, of the 13 principles of faith, number five is the one that says that you could only pray to God, you can't pray to anybody else. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if people, when they say like, you know, sometimes um, people, you know how like something bad happens and then words slip out of your mouth and then depending where you are, you're like, oops, you know, like, because God is only in certain places, obviously, and not in other places. Um, so, uh, you know, it's also, you know, you know it's funny because like I get that often. I have people talk to me and then sometimes they slip. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry, Rabbi. I didn't mean to say that in front of you. I'm like, you don't have to apologize to me. I mean, you know, just look, just look up every time you say it. It doesn't matter if I'm around, if anybody else is around. But there's certain times, you know, there's certain four-letter words sometimes that slip out of people's, uh, you know, mouth and, you know, that they should, you know, like, like work, you know, and, and love, you know, really, really dirty words, um, that people cannot, uh, um, you know, comprehend. But in any case, sometimes, I don't know why this happens, but you ever have it that you see a regular Jewish person and something else happens and he's like, ah, cheese and rice, but he doesn't say cheese and rice. He says something else that sounds very similar to that. And, um, you know, and, you know, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, what you doing? <laughs> you know, like, well, what, what does that even mean? Like, by the way, you know, like you have some people that they go, go, you know, knock on wood. That's also a Christian thing. Now, 
These things, while it's not good to do at all, it's questionable. Is that considered praying? You're not praying to that, you know, to JC. You know, you're not like, you know, an accident. I mean, you're like, come on, you know, you know, cheese, let's do this. You know, like, you're not, you're not praying in it, but still, it's not a good thing to have slip out of your mouth. Um, However, the, the essence of this principle is that there's only one source of prayer, and that's only God. And now this has to be clear also in regards to rabbis. You cannot pray to rabbis. You know, if people go to the graves of rabbis and they start praying. You're not allowed to pray to the rabbi. You're praying to God in the merit of the rabbi. But that's also something that's very, very important to, uh, to understand. We, we spoke last... Yes? They're not, pr- it's, so let's say, so the question is, what, what do you do when you go to a grave? What is the power of the grave? Yes. The power of the grave is there's, there is extra, you know, you go to a holy person, there's an extra spiritual power in that grave, in the merit of that person. When you go to a, ra- let's say, a, a holy person when they're alive, it's also a spiritual power to be in their vicinity. And when they pass away, it's also a, a uh, um, there's a spiritual power to pray in that area. Uh, but you're not praying to them, you're praying to God in the merit of this righteous person. Uh, same thing with family members. Sometimes there's a, there's a connection, you know, that's going on over there. Sometimes you could, you know, whatever. There's, there's different things. There's a lot to speak about when you speak about going to, 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 uh, to graves. But one of the most important things is people, you know, you go to the, you know, big rabbi's grave. You cannot be praying to the rabbi. You're praying to one source and one source only, and that is God. That's the only source that, you, that you're able to pray to. So that is the principle over here. However, when we, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. So can you, like, kind of, when you're praying, like, ask this person, like, or the rabbi, like, can you pray on my behalf? Yes. Thank yeah. So, so your question is, can can you go and and ask, let's say, a relative, can you pray on my behalf? In essence, in a simple answer, technically, yes. You're not praying to this person. You're saying, can you go and pray to God on my? That's another thing in itself. You know. You mean like therapy? Yeah. Um, can you go to? A, yeah, you could. You could go to a grave. There is a part of the soul that stays always in the grave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you go? I mean, yeah, you're not, it's not, because you're talking and conversing. Right. Right. You, you have, if somebody wants to go and, yeah, and schmooze to somebody, you know, sometimes it's the best therapy. By all means. I mean, but you can, the main thing is you cannot pray. You cannot pray. Best listeners, that's true. Yeah. There is. You're not contacting the dead in bringing them back. You're not, so. You're having sort of a one-way conversation. Where the, the, like you cannot do, uh, halakhically you're not allowed to contact the dead and have, it's like a seance for example. You're not allowed to call the dead, co- you know, to you and ask them questions based on that. So you're not, you're not gathering information, you're not bothering the dead, you're not calling them and, and again, most people nowadays don't know what, what, you know, exactly how it's done. However, there is, there is quite a few that do know. So these things are forbidden. Very, 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 very much so forbidden and you have to stay very, very, very far away from these things. Very, very big sin. But to pray to somebody is, is a different sin, it's an entirely than calling upon them. Two different types of sins. But what we hear referring to the questions that are being asked is not that you're praying to them. You're not, you're, you're asking them to maybe pray on your behalf, but you're not having, you're not bringing the, the actual spirit down and you're not conversing with them. Two different, uh, uh, really three different categories that we're dealing with over here. Okay? The, the main part, the main port, you know, it, point that, that's like between point and part. Uh, it's port. Um, it's a new word I just made up. So, um, what you, what, you, what you cannot do and what you can do. You can pray to God and you cannot pray to anybody else. That's as simple as that. It can't be any, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing else that, that you can plug in over there. 
So when we spoke last week, we spoke about idolatry. And this is where I think parts got a little bit confusing, at least when I thought about it. Maybe it came out clear, and I really hope that it did come out clear, but it didn't feel like as I was contemplating it and thinking about it, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me. So I wanted to clarify. So number one, what is the idolatries, the, you know, the Rambam says that the, the stars, the, the, you know, they have power. They don't have powers. They have knowledge. They're, they are live beings. They have knowledge. And people in the ancient days, they used to know about these things, and they had a real test to go and pray to these types of celestial beings. Now, these celestial beings, they were able to manipulate them in a certain way that they would be able to receive things that they wanted in a, in a particular fashion that they did it in, which again is forbidden. Now, the difference between praying to God and, and praying to idolatry, there is many differences, but one difference that we focused last week was the difference that it's all about me. Idolatry is, there is the person that has uh, the wielder of the power, the one who is actually has the power, and then there's a person who is the source of the power. So what the difference is, is that let's say these celestial beings, they, they're the sort of the, the wielders of the power, but God is the source of the power. Idolatry goes to that middle being and says, forget about God. If I could just get what I want, I couldn't care less about anything else. That is idolatry. The, you know, Judaism, it focuses on God. We have to go through God. God supplies everything. Like it doesn't, there's no point of going to the messenger if you could go directly to the source. Idolatry goes to the messenger and Judaism goes to the source. Now, the different, one of the main differences is who is the focus. In idolatry, the focus is all about me. If I could, and that's why you look at ancient idolatries, it's all about there's the God of love, there's God of war, there's God of money, there's God of everything, there's a God because this is where your focus is. I just want this. Oh, what about everybody? I couldn't care less. I, as long as I get what I want, I am good. I am golden. The Judaism, it's you have to do what you need to do. And then granted, God will give it to you. It's not about all about me. Now, we have, let's say, some people that they go and they pray. And they pray just for their own, they just want things. They have a whole list. They have a, they have a shopping list that they go to God and say, God, listen, you know, I need blah, 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 blah. Thank you, and I'll see you next year on Yom Kippur. And that's pretty much it. Now, that is also serving God out of a selfish pure selfish reason. You're just wanting yourself. Very similar to idolatry. Now, this is the part, I don't know if I was clear or not. It's not idolatry if you go and pray to God like that. You, you, it's still good and you, it's still pray to God and you're still allowed to do that. And it's still a good thing. Go pray. Give God your list of things. That, of course, it's a good thing. It's just there's levels of prayers. That is not the best way to pray. That is not the highest way to get. And that's not going to be the most uh, powerful way to get what you want, if you could say like that. Um, so, so this is the part that I was, wasn't sure if I was so clear. You are 100% allowed to go and pray to God and ask God for your own personal things, and you should ask God for your own personal things. However, there is there is different ways of the the, the correct way to do something in uh, Judaism. The correct way to do it. What's the correct way to actually pray? Number one is self nullification, realizing that everything is from God, and you're you're like nothing. You're not the source of anything. Uh, everything is directly from God. The the ideas that we explained last time is like bowing down. When you bow down, you put your head, which is the most intellectual part, which is the highest part, you put it to your feet. What that means is that you're telling God, like the distance between me and you, my head and my feet are the same. You're nullifying yourself to God. Uh, also the idea of shechting, slaughtering. When you slaughter the animal, the animal dies, and you're saying like, God, I wish, it's, it's as if I am slaughtering myself. You're, nullify, you're, you're nullifying yourself in front of God. When you're lowering yourself in front of God, that is the, that is, uh, that is the correct way to go and pray, realizing that you're nothing, and then the, the flip side is realizing that God is the source of everything. You want anything, the only way to get it is through God. Yeah, you have to do your shtadlut, you have to do your, your work, you can't just sit at home and just expect everything to come to you. You have to do what you have to do. But ultimately, the source of everything is God. So, the, 
<clears throat> the idea that, that I also want to you know, bring out, and I think I brought this out last time, is some people become religious to get stuff. So they, let's say, um, you know, the example that I like to use often, because I think, I feel like it's, it's, you know, fairly common. They're trying shiduchim. They're trying for a long, long time. They can't get married. They can't get married. They try matchmakers. They try this. They try this. They can't try. Okay, let's try being religious for a little bit. Maybe God will give it to me that way. So you're doing it in order to get something. Now, that's not a bad thing. Uh, you're doing something. Even that you do something not for the right reasons, ultimately it's going to come to the right reason. So still you still should do that. But no, just know that's not the highest level. And because it's not on the highest level, it's very possible that someone that does that will slip and fall back and become not religious. Because they're only here for themselves. They're only coming religious because they want to, you know, someone try to open a business, fail, 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 fail. He says, you know what? Shabbat, source of all blessing. Let me start keeping Shabbat. They start keeping Shabbat for a few months and they're not a multi-billionaire or gazillionaire or trillionaire. However, you know, men tend to think. Now, they're like, well, what's the point of all this? And then they leave it. They leave it all. The, the idea behind it is that when you went into it, you didn't go into it for the right reasons. Nonetheless, it's still good that you still do it even if it's not for the right reasons. Still, it's still good to do things in Judaism even if not, it's not for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons. Because eventually, the more that you do something good, you'll see the beauty of it and then it'll turn into uh, the good things. That is just the recap. Clear? Okay, so I, I hope, I, I don't know how clear it was last week, but I was thinking about it and it didn't feel clear to me. So I hope now it's clear. If there's any questions, feel free to not ask and just nod your heads and say no questions okay because we want to get okay now we ask, we'll ask you questions afterwards so I want to go I want to finish the, um, I, want to, I want to get to the, the next uh, principle okay so now we're up to principle number six principle number six that all the words of the prophets are, are true so if you want to look at the source the source is in Devarim Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 it's referring to a prophet who will call among you and you have to listen to him the, um, the Rambam brings down that if somebody says somebody comes in and says that there's no such thing as prophecy God does not communicate with, with humans that person is known as Apikot and they have no share in the world to come now we, well, what I want to try to, 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 to go through and explain today is what is the Can you say that again? If says, says that there's no general. God never communicated with, uh, yeah, ever, ever. There's also such a problem that, that people are on drugs and, uh, you know, they never happened. Some, whatever people say. I've heard, I've heard very interesting theories. Um, nonetheless, it's, uh, that person has no share in the world to come. Um, which I always wonder, like a lot of these things, like you don't gain anything by saying it. Like, you know, like, oh yeah, the, like what do you gain? You lose everything, gain nothing. Like, like well, why would somebody say, yeah, there's no such thing as prophecy? You, you know, just shut your mouth, pretend to believe it, and you know, move on in life. I mean, obviously God knows your thoughts, but some people do things that, that make absolutely no sense. They're, they're, they're playing with such strong fire, explosives, that there's absolutely no gain from it. Like, I understand if you take, like, fireworks, and it's going to be, like, really cool, you, you know, and, you, okay, you, you mess up, you get burned, you bought it from China, whatever it is, you know, the reason is, you're at least going hoping somebody benefit. What benefit can you come and say, there's no such thing as profits? So, you know, it's just playing, just like playing with gunpowder. It's just, like, literally, like, nothing good is going to come out of it. You can't, like, I mean, I, again, I don't know how to play with gunpowder, but... I have some friends that are pyromaniacs and I'm sure can explain to me how, what can be done with these things. But there's nothing good, there's nothing good that can become of it. It's like, it's a, what I call an insane sin. It makes no sense. Like, there's something wrong intellectually if someone goes and do, do these types of uh, sins. So now, why is it so important? Why is it so important that prophecy, why to make it one of the 13 uh, principles of faith? So number one is that the only way that human beings can understand what's the will of God is only through prophecy. How else are we going to understand the will of God? 
How else can we know what God wants? And in fact, the Torah, the, the giving of the Torah was a, was a prophecy. I mean, everybody was able to there. Everybody saw God. Everybody heard, I mean, I haven't seen God. Everybody heard God. It was a prophetic, you know, you know from the, for the entire nation. Moshe Rabbeinu, the whole thing was prophecy. The only way that the, the, the stands in it, the only way that the Torah is, we know that comes from God, is if there's prophecy. Because if there's no prophecy, then people make, you know, there's, there's no connection. So that's, it's very important that there is, um, you know, this, this concept of prophecy. Now, when, when you're dealing with, um, with a theology, theology is like the study of an understanding of God. Judaism has very little on this. Doesn't have the, the, the understanding of God. Christianity, for example, has it. Shimshon Rafal Hirsch goes and explains that Christianity was created by man to understand God. Judaism was created by God for man to understand man. You know, so you understand the, you know, the difference. And that's why you have a lot of these religions. They tell you things about God. God does this. God had a son. God did this. God has many arms. God, you know, the God of war. God, blah. they start explaining everything about God. Now, who's going to argue with them? No, I don't think so. No, I don't know. You know, like, hey, you believe that. I believe this. We're too, you know, there's no, nobody can conflict them. Nobody could argue with them because nobody could say, well, I saw God. I mean, people do say that, but I'm saying usually those people are in, Places where there's white lab coats, but generally, you know, you can't, you can't, you cannot contradict something that's in the spiritual realm because you cannot, you cannot prove it in the physical sense. So, Judaism, you know, in itself doesn't doesn't delve at all into the theology of God, understanding God. In fact, we know very little about God. We know that God exists. We know that God is great. We know how we say in Tehillim chapter 145 verse 3, His greatness is unfathomable. We know He's awesome, He's great, but that's as far as we know. We don't know anything about it because we can't comprehend it, which is one of the discussion of the first class of the 13 principles of faith that we gave. Now, you have many people that they confuse Kabbalah with trying to understand God. Kabbalah does not tell you about God. It tells you how God relates to the world. How God interacts with the world in the Kabbalistic sense. So, it, when you're studying Kabbalah, you're not studying about God. We cannot uh, fathom God. Now, with all this understanding, it explains Rav Shem it's very difficult for us to understand prophecy. We can't understand the next world, so it's very difficult for us to understand prophecy. We're going to try to explain to the best of our ability how, to, uh, how, how we can comprehend this, the, the prophetic powers. Now, in, uh, uh, you know, in Tanakh, in Shmuel, chapter 9, verse 9, the prophecy means seeing. Explains of Shipshim Pincus, let's say you go and you are, you're blindfolded, and someone puts an object in front of you, and you start feeling around this object, and you're starting to, you know, you feel it, you open it up, it feels like a book, there's pages, you're like, okay, this is a book. Now, you're, you're blindfolded, you have no idea of the contents of this book, but you know that it's a book. You know, you can pick out the, the size of weight. It could be a New Testament. It could be, you know, the, the, the Torah. It could be, you know, the Quran. It could be anything. It could be, you know, what's Clifford, the big red dog. I don't know. Is that, that's, that's how it's called? Okay. Yeah, it could be anything. I mean, I don't know. They're not usually that thick. But, you know, it's an encyclopedia. It's an encyclopedia or the Torah. You don't know the difference. You just know that it exists. The, you know, and, and you could go, like, it's something very fascinating. Something that you would spend, like, a year trying to just figure just by, by touch, let's say you want to figure it out. So you'll start rubbing the top and you see sometimes if it's protruding the letters and you'll try to read it even though you pretend you know Braille and you try to figure out. You could try to figure out many, many things, but it'll be very, very difficult for you to, 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 you know, to figure out the basic concepts of what that object is. But then you open your eyes for a second and instantly you understand everything. You know, like, okay, it's a Torah, not the fake one, the real one. You know, like you go on and you, you, you're able to go with just seeing for, for like an instant. The... Prophecy, the way we understand prophecy is that the world for the prophet is just opened up in front of them. They see everything instantly. Everything is just so clear. Everything is like in a clear state, like 
the difference of someone who's trying to feel something, you know, blindfolded versus someone seeing something. Blindfolded is the way that we see things. Without a blindfold, that's a prophet. You know, the, you know, you have many, many books and holy sfarim proving God, explaining, you know, how do we prove God? You have the Sefer al-Kuzri, you have the Sefer al-Karim, you have the Rambam, you know, and you have the, you know, the Moran Nebuchim, you have the Chobot al-Vavod, you have many, many books like this. And go, and the more that you could try to go and understand and try to prove God, it pales in comparison to what a prophet could prove, could see in an instant. Like, even you have all that knowledge, it's nothing compared to what a prophet, uh, you know, a prophet sees the second that they have that, that, that prophecy. Now, let's say you go, and you are blindfolded. You're feeling it, you know it's a book, you know nothing. Then you take it off for like two seconds, you see the book, you're like, okay, it's a secular book of psychology. And then you close your, uh, your, you know, your blindfold again. And then someone asks you, says, what was the book? And you say, uh, you know, it was a psychology book. And he says, are you sure it wasn't physiology? A study of physiology? And he's like, wait, wait a minute. You know, I saw it. I'm pretty sure it spelled very similar. I mean, two worlds apart. Psychology is a study of the human behavior. Physiology is how the human body works. So you could, even if you see something, you could still misunderstand something and you could still misrepresent something, even with the vision that you have. Now, the, even furthermore, if somebody's really good at convincing you, be like, you know, I never even took off your blindfold. You, how do you even know that? Like, how do you know? Maybe I did it. Maybe you're dreaming now. Everything is fake. Could be you're in a coma. And you got, you know, stuff put into, you know, people get, you know, when people do it, they're like, I don't know, I'm real. And then they start stabbing themselves, and then they end up in the hospital. But most people don't do that. But how do you know that you're real? How do you know that you, there's always something like, but I don't know. Prophecy, there's no, but I don't know. Everything is clister, crystal clear. I gotta slow down. When I start combining words, that means I'm speaking too fast. Okay. Let's take a, a breather. Okay. Hey guys, you have to calm down. Just relax. <laughs> Speak so fast, I can't understand you. Okay, so now, prophecy. Super, super clear. The, when you're looking through vision, even your vision is not as clear as what a prophet can see, the clarity that a prophet can see. The, yeah. Um, do the prophets... Their whole lives were like that, or they had certain. No, when they have, yeah, yeah, they they were, yeah, when they had when they had the prophetic visions, um, the you know, there is a, a pasuk in Kohelet that says that you know a person doesn't know when his time to die is, and it could come suddenly. Now, ask the Chachamim. Says, what do you mean suddenly? A person should always be preparing the day of death. Everybody should say, you know, that, you know what the Chazal tells us that you should always, you know, prepare that if that is as if today is going to be your last day. Do your chuvah, get everything in order this way. So, like the way that you're supposed to do is like your whole life you should be preparing for death. So, what does the Torah mean when it says, oh, you know, you can never prepare for death because it comes so suddenly? Imagine somebody's blind and you're trying to describe to him what sight, eyesight is. Now you could try to prepare this person for like 30 years and explain to him, you know, or her everything about eyesight and vision and things like that. But it pales in comparison when they're actually going to be able to see. Let's say they go through a procedure and they're able to see. It pales in comparison. Like what you explain to them is just like a drop in the sea to what they could actually see now. When a person is in this world, it's a dark world. I mean, we think it's a bright world. It's a very dark world. The next world is a very bright world. Two different things. Like your mind just opens up. Like as much as you think you can prepare for the next world, it's nothing in comparison to it. It's a different, different, it's everything. Everything is different. Everything is clear over there. Everything makes sense over there. Here, nothing makes sense. Here, nothing is clear. So it's a different world in itself. Prophecy has the ability to see that clarity. It has the ability to see that clarity. Now, 
when you you know prophets cannot prophesy on their own will and own violation it, it goes based off what god wants whatever god grants it now these these uh, prophets they you know they they have to raise themselves to a very high level spiritually they have to be you know very very smart they have a great intelligence strong character they have to have constant controls of their emotions. Their mind is clear. They're separated from the worldly things. Their Rambam in uh, Shmona Parakim goes and, and explains that uh, there's a there's a, um, there's a there's a Gemara in Nedarim that says that a prophet, in, in order for a person to have prophecy, he has to be wise, he has to be strong, and he brave, and he has to be rich. Now, really, that's what, uh, you know, yeah, that's what the qualifications of prophecy. You have to be wise, brave, and rich. Says the Rambam, explains what, is, what does it mean when it says wise, brave, and rich? So first by rich, says the Rambam. He says, what is a rich? Rich means that someone is content. Who is somebody who is wealthy? Somebody who is satisfied with his lot. Somebody who is content. That's what it means when a, para- when a, when a prophet has to be rich. It has to be that he has to be satisfied with his, and we'll soon see why this is so important. What does it mean brave? Brave means moral, uh, moral perfection. You're morally a, 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 uh, a kosher person. We see also, who is somebody that's brave, that's mighty? Somebody that's able to overcome his temptation, his desires. You want to know if someone really is strong, really as powerful? Somebody who's able to control themselves, that's somebody who's strong. Not somebody who could lift 7,000 pounds. Somebody who could lift 7,000 pounds doesn't mean anything about the person. Somebody who's able to control themselves are a lot stronger than somebody that could lift, you know, uh, you know, a lot of weight. The, Wait, what did we miss over here? We said wise. Okay, wise makes sense, actually. That, that, yeah, we don't have to. Um, the, the, the Rambam goes and says, you know, not like the foolish masses. The foolish masses would think that God just grants prophecy to anybody. Well, and it is just like, you know, prophecy, <coughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. The, you know, like, just like, uh, you know, you know, just like anything or any other religion that may think that, you know, like God just grants someone prophecy even though they don't keep Shabbat and they don't keep all, all these mitzvot that God is going to grant them. No, no, no. You have to be a very, 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 very righteous person. In are order. There, sorry, are there any prophets nowadays, or I, I already know. No. How do you know if someone has a prophet or, or something? Oh, we're gonna explain how to know if there's a prophet. Yeah, yeah. We'll also give you criteria how to become a prophet. Well, we we'll go through the schooling and things like. Um, give you all the details that you need to get. Okay. So thank you. But yeah, a person has to be very, very holy in order to get prophecy. It doesn't just go to anybody. Um, the, in fact, if let's say somebody goes and performs miracles, right? Jesus, and uh, someone like that, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm allergic to some, you know, ideas. So, um, the, you know, the, there is, you know, let's say somebody goes and performs miracles. doesn't mean that they're a prophet. That means absolutely nothing in prophecy. You know how you tell if there's a prophet? First of all, it has to be, has to meet all the criteria that we said before. Very, very righteous person. After that, they have to perform signs. What's the sign that a prophet, anybody know what's the sign? A prophet? Take a rabbit out of a... No, okay. Um, uh, the sign of a prophet is that they have to be, able to be able to predict the future. That's one of them. That's one of the ways that they're able to predict the future. Now, if they go and they're able to predict the future, you know that's a, that it's a, that's a real prophet. Now, this is, says the Rambam. It says also in, uh, in uh, this... Uh, I believe it's in Yerushalmi in Sanhedrin. And the Rambam brings this, I believe, in Hilchot Yisrael Torah. That when you have a prophet, when you have a prophet and they prophesize that something bad is going to happen in the future. There's going to be a famine, someone's going to die. And that doesn't happen? That doesn't mean that they're a false prophet. Why? Because God is merciful. God, maybe they changed, maybe they did a chuba, and you're able to change, you know, those type of, uh, you know, those type of, of, of decree. They predict the future, like, but not in the course of nature, like... Right. They can't be like, tomorrow the sun will rise. At sunrise, and you check a calendar. That's not prophecy. That's just reading. But they predict something that's something that's not 
going to obviously that would make sense that it's a prediction. Now, let's say you have a prophet that predicts something good that's supposed to happen, and then it doesn't happen. Then you know that it's not a uh, that it's not a kosher prophet. Then you could ask, hey, what happens if let's say something good was supposed to happen to somebody? They predicted it, and it didn't happen. Maybe the person sinned, and we have proof for this in the Torah. The Yaakov Avinu in Bereshit chapter uh, Genesis chapter twenty-eight verse fifteen. It says, God says to Yaakov, He says, and I am with you, and I will guard you, and I'll watch you with wherever you go. Then later you see in chapter thirty-two verse eight that when it comes to Esav, it says, and Yaakov became very worried. Says, said, why are you worried? God told you he's going to be with you. Why are you worried? Says that the sages explained because maybe Yaakov was afraid that maybe he did a sin, that he wasn't worthy of the protection of God. So we have, well, we just said over here that if if you're going to have this this uh, you know this this de- decree that something good is supposed to happen, God, if something good is supposed to happen, God promises something, it's going to go and ha- happen. So what's the difference over here? So the difference is is that it depends on how this how this information comes. If this information comes to just private prophet like to, about his own about himself. Then yeah, it depends. If he could have uh, done something good, he could have done something bad, maybe he'll forfeit it. But if a prophet goes and says something, and says something to somebody else in the public, that for sure is going to happen. Whether the person is worth it or not, God promised something, it's going to happen. So the idea over here is, is that if a prophet goes and prophesies something that's good that's supposed to happen, and it, and it doesn't happen, false prophet. It does happen, then you know that it's a good prophet, assuming obviously that he is a righteous, holy, and a very, 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 very righteous person. Okay, so the other uh, there is another way that we could establish a prophet. If you have an established prophet already, goes and says to the other person, this person is also a prophet. We have over here that Moshe Rabbeinu did this to Yehoshua. Moshe Rabbeinu said this to Yehoshua and said that he, he testified on, on Yehoshua. Now, the way that prophets see their prophecy, it could either be in a dream, dream a vision, or in a trance. The, um, what, what happens is that when a prophet you know, sees a prophecy, they're, they're whole, they lose their 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 sense they they're like their body trembles they lose like their physical functions of their body it goes into like a crazy crazy trance and they lose like control of everything except like their mind is like super super clear and crystal now when they see they see it as an allegory uh, but the meaning is already implanted in them they, they they're showing it in a in a sort of an allegory but then the meaning of the allegory is all implanted you know with them You'll understand why I'm saying that you know when we speak about next uh, next week's class with which is about Moshe Rabbeinu the 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 prophet has to be in a joyous mood in order to prophesize. No, people don't understand how important is simcha, happiness. And and if you do, if the prophet is not happy, there's not gonna have, you're not gonna have a, you're not gonna have prophecy. To the extent that some prophets had musical instruments to be able to bring them to that level of joy, to bring them to that uh, um, to, to that level. The what does a prophet do? A prop, what does a prophecy you know entail? A prophet could either prophesize either about like spiritual concepts, like learning things, like learning lofty concepts that are beyond our basic understanding. Other times, it'll tell, uh, uh, God will give a message to a prophet to warn a group of people or instruct them to do so and so. And when a prophet is sent to you know to do that, God gives them a sign also to prove to them that he's a real prophet, assuming that he's not already established as a as a prophet. The the Gemara Psachim. Goes. There are certain things that remove prophecy from a prophet. Number one is anger. The Gmam Sahim says, Kola koes inavihu. If somebody uh, gets angry and he is an avi, his prophecy gets removed from him. Another thing is also if somebody's grief or anxiety. For example, Yaakov Avinu, when he was mourning over Yosef, when he had the grief over Yosef, he didn't have any prophecy. He didn't have that. So when you have in the, in the stage, you know, you know, Angry moods, you're not going to get prophecy. You have to be in a very, very joyous mood to get the uh, to get uh, prophecy. How many prophets were there? It says the says the Gemara uh, Megillah, page fourteen. 
It says there were twice as many as many uh, prophets as there were people that left Egypt. There were, so you're talking about over a million. You had over a million prophets in, uh, in you know in the history of the Jewish uh, Jewish nation. Now we have to explain something. The the prophets. We don't. Not, first of all, we don't know majority of most of them. We don't even know their names. Forget about who they were, what they prophesied about. Why? Because and many of them were ordinary citizens. There could be students. There could be workers. They were just really righteous. They reached a high level, and some of them didn't even know that they were prophesying until until they prophesied and afterwards, and then they realized what it was. Those. The reasons why we don't have that documented is that those prophets prophesied specifically for their time. And it was something in that time for that generation, and that's why it was never put down into text and into anything that like we have today. The prophets that we have today is because those their prophecy is relevant for all generations. That's why we have the prophets that we have today. Era of prophecy was about a thousand years. It started from the Exodus of Egypt, and it went into the about forty years in the building of the second Beit Hamikdash. So it lasted the first Beit Hamikdash. It lasted through the exile of the first Beit Hamikdash, and it went for about forty years into the second uh, Beit Hamikdash. Now, the last surviving uh, prophets were were uh, you have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They were the last ones that prophesied. They were also part people of the of the Anshe Knesset the people of the Great uh, Assembly. Oh no, I didn't even realize that. No, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. Leave it. Um, so. I, oh really? Am I not? Am I not getting there? Oh, okay. So, well, okay. I'll, I can speak loud. Yeah. <coughs> All right. So now, yeah, I'll speak louder. They'll be quiet. Don't worry. So, um, okay. The where was I? Okay, you also had Mordechai and Estelle. Mordechai and Estelle, they were also part of the prof- they were also part of the last surviving, uh, last surviving prophets. Now, there's something interesting. Prophecy in the Holy Land can exist when you have, uh, when you have the majority of the Jews. Well, okay, let's just leave it as a blanket, blanket thing of that. The way that, one of the ways that prophecy works in Israel is that you have the majority of Jews living in Israel. Now, what happens when Ezra, when, when he went, went back in the second Beit HaMikdash, not everybody came back with them. So because not everybody came back with them, prophecy didn't exist, you know, didn't survive as much as it did in the first. There's, there's many other things that Arona, the Arona has to be over there. There's many other concepts on, on what has to happen in order to have, you know, prophecy the way that, that we did have, uh, prophecy. But in any case, what are some rules for prophecy? Some of the halachot, there's actually part of the 613 commandments, there are a certain number of commandments that are related to prophecy. Number one, there is an obligation to, you have to obey, you have to listen to the prophet. You can't say, oh, I'm, I'm working with a different prophet. And first of all, it didn't work that way. Now, you know, people go to the rabbis and they're like, you know, someone tells you something, they're like, my rabbi says I could do this. I'm like, your rabbi is a, not a rabbi. Because if he tells you you could drive to Shul on Shabbat, that's not a rabbi. You know, like nowadays, you know, you have, back then it didn't work that way. You had, you know, the prophecy, prophecy, the prophet told you something, you listen. That's it. There's nothing else that you could do. Number two is you cannot doubt or test God's promise, uh, or the warnings of the, of the prophet. And number three, this is more, more particular for the actual prophet. See? Lower down. Raise your voice. Lower down. Number three, uh, yeah, the, the prophet has to personally carry out the message. He has to, and he cannot suppress it, like Yonah, for example, tried to, or almost attempted to do it. The, um, you have to give the message over. And number, what was it, number five, whatever it is for, the, a prophet cannot prophesy in the name of another god, even if it's true. Which seems obvious, but you're not allowed to go and prophesy in the name of another god. You have to prophesy only in the name of the only true god, which is only one god. Why do you do that? I don't know. It's commandments. Just don't. Um, why? Good question. The, once, once you, once you validate a prophet, there is, 
once you know that a prophet is true, there's no need to investigate his prophecy and start testing him. Once you know a prophet is true, there's no need to prove anything else about it. The prophet's true, then the prophecy you know, comes true as well. The question, though, that's asked is that a prophet, we know prophecy has to do with holiness, kedusha. But you had some prophets that were able to prophesize about everything, like, like regular stuff. Like not pro- they, they, their whole world was opened up for them. How did that work? So Rabbi Shimshim goes and explains that, you know, you have, for example, uh, Shaul. Before he became king, his father go and send him to look for some lost mules. And he spent three days going and searching for these mules, and he couldn't find them. Until he went to uh, Shmuel Navi, the prophet of uh, you know, Samuel. And he went over to, to Shmuel, and he wanted to go and ask him, where are the mules? And Shmuel, even before he asked his questions, Shmuel, you know, Shmuel Navi told him, by the way, they found the mules. You know, imagine you come in to ask a rabbi a question, and the rabbi says, oh yeah, here's your answers before you get it. How much to check? How much? <laughs> you know? um, so, you know, like, so the question is about how did, like, what he was really searching for mules? Like, what, what's, like, how did that work? So, Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus goes and explains. says, imagine two people are sitting and learning Gemara. They're coming to, a, you know, a synagogue and they're learning. And while they're learning, they're, you know, the, um, one of them is blind, one of them is able to see. So the person that's blind goes and asks the person that says, excuse me, what color are the walls? And he says, Call the walls. We're learning over here. Who cares what color the walls? And the blind person says, listen, he says, you can see. For you, it's easy as much as you pick it up. He says, yeah, okay, we're learning over here, but it's very difficult. I don't know what the color of the walls are. I want to know what the color of the walls are. So the person who's learning can look up and say, okay, it's, I don't know, whitish, grayish, beige, majestic. I don't know. It's a color. Um, it's white. Let's make it simple. And, uh, the, you know, the idea is that the prophet, even though they're dealing with, with Kedusha, they're learning. They're learning Gemara over there. They're learning over there in the, in the, in the city. But if they want to see anything, all they gotta do is just pick up and look. Right, that's right over here. Yeah, the mules are found. Like, it's not something that they're actively, like, getting, but when they have this, this, uh, openness, that the clarity they have, they're able to see things that even the mundane things are able to see that it's spread out right before them. And, <clears throat> the Vilna goes and explains that one of the purposes of being in this world is to fix your character traits. Uh, people have a very hard... Religious people don't even have a hard time with this. You have to realize one of the main functions of you being in this world is to fix your character traits. Become a better person. The way that it's supposed to be is through the Torah. Unfortunately, you have people that are learning Torah, but they don't put the musal. They don't actually go and, and change themselves to become that better person. A very, very big disconnect that's going on over here. But the villain goes and says that when, when you have, that, that's, that's, a, that's what you need. Now, let's say you used to go to a prophet. A prophet would be able to tell you what you need to do for your soul, based on the root of your soul. Even tell you where you need to live. And when you go live over here, you're gonna, you're gonna find your match is gonna be over here. You're gonna, this is gonna be over here. You're gonna learn this over here. They're able to tell you like everything. Like imagine the power. Imagine, imagine what you had. You had a problem, you go to prophet. Hey, what should I do? You know, and then the prophet says you do X, Y, and Z. You know, I probably don't do that. But I'm saying, kiss the hand. But uh, you know, if you're Sephardi or Ashkenaz, I'm saying, you know, back then, was it Sephardi or Ashkenaz? Oh, we're on a different topic already. Okay. (laughs) We had a long conversation in my mind with myself right now. Well, then people start thinking that those prophets are gods because they feel like they have all the power. No, so you never had people that actually prayed to a prophet. Even back then when they had prophecy, they didn't go only in the non-Jewish world. Um, Like someone, you know, that they went and they turned him into a god. But generally... You don't have that in the Jew, in the Jewish world because you know the criteria. The, also, one of the it's so important that the person I don't know you know if you guys understood that the person has to be very, 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 very holy. I, I think I was pretty clear, right? Th- there's a very important factor that the person has to be holy because you know just get someone off the street, be like you know, comes and says he's the Mashiach. I still get this to this day. I get people tell me that they're the Mashiach. <laughs> I'm so happy, you know. Thank you. I'm finally meeting you. Um, 
don't know anything about Judaism yet, but they're the Messiah. So, um, you know, like, you have, to, you have to be at a really, really, really high level in order to get there. Now, that person is not going to be arrogant and says, hey, you have to follow me, you have to do this. One of the, one of the things also we'll see when we speak about Moshe Rabbeinu here is the humility, how, you know, these, these factors have to come into, in, into play. Yeah. Yeah. No, excellent question. Were the non-Jewish prophets also holy? Not necessarily, especially Bilam. Well, we're, we're going to explain that uh, next week, Bizarre. I'm going to explain that in relation to Moshe Rabbeinu. We'll, we'll explain how, how that works. So, excellent question. The, you know, the idea is over here. The, let's say, you know, imagine the scenario. Something our Shem Shem brings down. You wake up, and you're in a seven-star hotel. There is that, right? We, the, no seven-star hotel? Five is the max? Imagine there is a seven-star hotel, okay? It puts five-star, very expensive. It takes a five-star and makes it look like it's a hostel. Um, and you go, and, and your roommates are rats. And you go to this seven-star hotel. You just wake up, and everything is done for you. Like, well, it's a seven-star hotel. You're in this huge suite. You're overseeing the world. And you have, you know, like the most luxurious meals, any the touring, everything is teething. Now, you're going in there, you don't know, I mean, like you're confused, so you're just like, you know, going through the motions and you're doing it and you're like starting to enjoy, you know, being there. And, you know, but every time you pass by the reception, you should probably say like, you know what, like, who's paying for this? Like, what's going on? You know, like, you know, like what's going on over here? The, the, the more that you push it off, the worse off that you are. The closer that you say, you know what, like, you know, you go to a reception and be like, you know, who owns this hotel? How did I get here? Like, you know, is somebody paying for this? Am I paying for this? I never signed anything. You know, like, you know, Jew brain works, you know. All right, so anyways, um, so you go and you start, you start asking questions. What, you know, how did I get here? What, what, what is this going to cost me? I have this amazing luxury, but what is this going to cost me? So what about, you know, people that they're living in this world? They, this world puts a seven-star hotel into, in, into shame, you know? Yeah, have you ever, you know, the pleasures? Have you ever wondered what do you have to pay? What is the cost of pleasure? What's the pleasure of ear? Have you ever have you ever felt the pleasure of ear? You know, you know, Rabbi Victor Miller. It's good, right? Ear is good. Yeah, not no. Even in Brooklyn, you, you know, there's a story of Rabbi Victor Miller. Rabbi Victor Miller was walking down the street. He, his shul used to be his synagogue used to be on Ocean Parkway, right over here. In fact, his synagogue was the next block over. And um, he, uh, he, he used to go and he used to walk. And I used to be in the yeshiva, you know, also, you know, very close. And I used to see him walk. He used to always have a notepad on him. You know, and he would always used to walk over there. And um, one time, is a story I think his grandson brings down. And one time, he, his grandson comes into his house. And he sees the sink. I think I said the story before. He sees the sink is overflowed with water. Overflowed with water. The big rabbi, or the biggest rabbis, had dunked into the sink. And imagine you're coming into the house, you know, you see, you know, your, your elderly grandfather standing up there, fully clothed, head inside a sink of water. Now, you know, it's a big rabbi, you don't ask questions. You stand over there and you wait. That 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Suddenly, suddenly the rabbi picks it up and he takes a, a deep breath of air. And the, you know, the grandson there is like, um, rabbi, I have a question. And he says, yes says, what you doing? Um, and the rabbi goes and explains, says, you know, I was walking. He used to, actually, he used to walk. And, you know, walk on Ocean Parkway, it's very nice. You have a lot of trees, but it, you also have a lot of pollution. And he says, I was walking with somebody. And somebody said, you know, I was appreciating it. And somebody says, yeah, look at all the pollution over here in Brooklyn and Ocean Parkway. And, you know, and I felt like, you know, like, oh, you know, I didn't appreciate ear like I always used to. So I had to deprive myself of ear. And then when I was under the water, I was like, you know what? Oh, and then you take the first breath after you're on the water for a long time. 
Ah, then you could appreciate, then you could appreciate water. You know, like, if you ever had a cold for a long time and you can't smell from your nose, you don't appreciate what taking a breath from your nose is. You don't realize what it has until you have. So the rabbi wanted to appreciate it, so he put himself in a situation where he couldn't use it, and then he get, and then he started to appreciate it again. But what's the price for it? What's the price for ear? A price for a cup of water. How amazing is water? It's so simple, yet so unbelievably amazing. A fruit. What is a, you know, what is the price for everything that we have to do? If somebody doesn't ask these questions, you're living in a 17,000 star hotel planet called planet Earth. Everything is done for you. Everything is here. You know, you have so much. Your basic needs are all very, very simple to survive, I'm saying. And you have all that laid out in front of you, yet we don't ask, what is the price for this? How, we need to know, what's the price? How much is this going to cost me if I do something? And you know what? That's what the Torah is. The Torah tells you the price of an apple. The Torah, sorry, the Torah tells you the price of a, a cup of water. The, the Torah tells you the price of marriage. What do you have to do? There's a price for everything and you have to do something. Now, not only does the Torah give you the price and God tell you the price for it, it does something so unbelievably amazing. Imagine you go to the Seven Star Hotel and uh, someone's sitting there by the reception. You go up to them and they say, listen, he says, I've been here for quite a while. You guys do a great job, but uh, who's paying for all this? And he says, how, how much is it going to cost? And says, oh, on, this is on the house. Oh, you just got to say thank you. And then you're good. That's it. He's like, thank you. Thank you for everything. He says, oh, by the way, now that you said thank you, here's a million dollars. Right? Let me say thank you. What are you going to be sitting over there? Thank you, 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 thank you. Thank you. you know, you're just going to sit there and say thank you. That's what God is telling us. God is giving us water. God is giving us the nature, a, a juicy apple. And we're saying, well, this is amazing. Have you ever think about it? It can be orchestrated in this in a lab. It's so amazing. And you say, what's the, what, what, what's the price? Oh, it's a blessing. Now you make the blessing. Now I'm going to give you a billion dollars for that blessing. Because when you get to the next world, then you're going to get reward for that. So not only is God giving you an unbelievably amazing world, God, the payment for it, the, what you have to do is say you're blessing whatever it is that the payment per, for that particular thing. And then you get an infinite amount of reward for that. Can you imagine that? And somebody could go through their entire life and never asking the question, what does this cost? How, what a shame that is. Somebody that's able to go through life and not realize that there's a price to pay for everything that we do. And not only there's a price to pay for everything that we do, there's a, there's a, there's something that we get from it as well. It's something so unbelievable. How do we get all this? It was through prophecy. The Torah, through prophecy, was able to go and, and give us this, this information. The, that was through God. <clears throat> now, we have to, what time is it? Okay. Oh, only been learning for five minutes. Okay. So, no one look at your watches. <laughs> okay. So um, the the idea of of, of prophecy, there's, there's like a connection between like the divine and humans. But there's more than just what we think as prophecy. For example, divine inspiration. You guys familiar with that? Divine, like Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. Now, we have to also, first of all, understand like there is inspiration and then there's divine inspiration. So inspiration is somebody who just get inspired divinely inspired, first of all, you know, like inspiration, Hitler was inspired, Gaddafi was inspired, you know, many terrorists are also inspired, that doesn't mean they get divine, that is why the, the divine inspiration is lower level than prophecy, uh, divine inspiration the, the Torah was not written through divine inspiration, the Torah was written through prophecy because divine inspiration how do you know? You know, somebody could be divine, uh, divine. you know, like, there, there is, I mean, obviously there's some criteria they're able to, you know, pinpoint and, and figure out, but in general, inspiration could come from a, you know, a variety of different sources. The, the difference is also, is that you have, when you have, when you have divine inspiration, divine inspiration can be something that can be coming from within, 
can be coming from external sources. It can be coming from a bunch of different. Have you, in order to explain this, I think you know, like you have to understand how people get inspired. Have you ever listened to like a song and get inspired? You get it. You listen to song. What was that? What's that? That's you know, you're inspired from a song. Like, have you ever just gotten up one day and just like, I'm so pumped. I'm gonna. You know, the inspiration can come with so many different sources. It can even come from bad things. Someone could go and sit and watch a movie, and like that's it. I'm becoming. You know, I'm inspired to do X, Y, and Z. It's still inspiration, but because of the level of this of this inspiration, the Torah. The 630 commandments was given through prophecy. Not through divine inspiration, it's a lower level of, of prophecy. Now, when you have to, um, when, we're, when we're looking at the idea of prophecy, we also have to figure out why, we said why it's important. We said we gave one reason why it's important, because that this is the way that we know that the Torah is, uh, we got the Torah and we got the Torah from God, we have to know that this is the, it lies on, on prophetic powers, it lies on prophecy. It says, but why did this actually have to be as a, Source of one of the 630 commandments. Why can't it be like, believe that the Torah is from God and, you know, put it out. Why prophecy was specified something in particular in its own? And says the Divrei Yirmiyahu. Goes and brings down and says, you want to know what the importance of prophecy is? The importance of why we need to know about prophecy? It, not for the actual prophets, but actually to tell you who is a false prophet. Because you know the damage that could be done with a false prophet? If you have one false prophet, they could change everything. <laughs> uh, you know, you, they could change the entire, they can make new religions out of it. And they could change the entire, inspire everybody to do bad, not good. So there's so much power to it. The, the re, one of the main reasons that we have this is not only to tell you about the prophecy, but also to tell you about prevent of get, getting you uh, involved in someone who's a false prophet. The idea that, you know, we know that um, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 11a, says that the last prophets, the last of the prophets, Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi, when they died, the prophetic spirit departed from Israel. Departed from Israel. When it says departed, it means nistalka. Nistalka means like it was removed. It was departed. Says the you know Rab, Rabbi Ruben Margolis says that when it means that it was departed, it doesn't mean that it ceased to exist. It means it wasn't as common as it was before. And it brings proof that no, we have sources that even the Gemara that brings us that you have, for example, the Gemara in Eruvin, uh, page sixty-four B. It says Rabban Gamliel perceived with prophetic spirit. Vayikaraba Midrash in chapter twenty-one, verse eight. It says Rabbi Akiva gazed with prophetic spirit. And the, the Talmud Yerushalmi it says that Rabbi Meir gazed with prophetic. You had rabbis that went. Rabbi Shimon Yechai also in Talmud Yerushalmi gazed with prophetic spirit. You have rabbis that had that came way after you know prophecy you know ceased to exist. That they still the Gemara says that they they you know they were able to have some sort of prophetic spirit. And then you have even Rabbi Chaim Vital brings down a Shalak Kudoshah, says that even in his time, which was about 500 years ago, even in his time, you had people that were able, the righteous people were able to go, I'm sure he was speaking about the Arisa, they go and they were able to predict the future. They were able to have these powers. So rather, he explains that there was never a divine decree that prophecy should cease to exist. Rather, the, the amount of qualified individuals ceased to exist. And that's why, you know, prophecy didn't exist as much as it did on, on a previous level. But not the fact that prophecy doesn't, you know, is, is no longer in existence, uh, you know, per se. Now, there are different levels of prophecy. The Rambam brings this down in Moran uh, Nebuchim. It brings down that there are different levels, there are different levels of prophecy. For example, a prophet could see the, the allegory, the, in, you know, in a dream. Or a prophecy could hear, could hear, you know, the voice, uh, you know, as, as a prophet. Or it could see in a dream. Or they could appear as if God is speaking to them. Or it's a prophetic vision. There's many different variations of, of prophecy. However, there's also other different, um, there's other different ways of getting, you know, messages from heaven to earth. 
messages is not such a, you know, but you'll see, we'll soon see, there's, there's like a connection, you get a this strong uh, spiritual type of connection. So now, and in fact, I wasn't sure, there's some of the things over here, I wasn't sure how much I should explain, but I'm going to explain it, especially since now I, that I said that, I have to explain it, but some of the, I'm going to try to make it as, as easy to understand as possible. Some of these things are a little bit difficult to understand. Some of these things seem very, very far-fetched, but bear with me, and uh, hopefully with Hashem, with God's help, we'll be able to get, gain some clarity in this. So now, there's an idea we mentioned before as Ruach HaKodesh, Ruach HaKodesh, right? Uh, otherwise uh, loosely translated as, you know, divine, ins- it's not really divine inspiration. I don't know if that's a correct... I don't know. Ruach HaKodesh. Let's call it Ruach HaKodesh for what it is. The Rabbinu Bachai goes in Vaika, chapter 8, verse 8, that he says that uh, Ruach HaKodesh has a, uh, is a lower level of prophecy, is a lower level uh, than that of, of actual prophecy. How, what was one of the ways? That in prophecy, uh, the prophet loses the senses, awareness of all the worldly phenomena. However, in when Ruach HaKodesh, the, the, the person who's, who's getting the Ruach HaKodesh, he still able to, you know, has full control, full awareness of everything else like that. And then he's also able to, like, predict the future, or whatever it is, different things, depending on the, on the you know, on the, on the concept on what, on what the Waha Kodesh was. Says it, Tzemach Tzedek, says, what's the difference between the sages, something very interesting, what is the difference between the sages and the, and the prophets? Why? why? Why do you ask this question? Because there's something very interesting. You have, for example, Abshim Bayuchai. He was able to bring down such lofty Kabbalistic concepts that he brought down that the prophets didn't bring down. So how is it that Rabshim Bayuchai brought, you know, wrote down, diff, you know, these deep Kabbalistic mystical concepts that even the prophets didn't write down? And uh, the answer is, is that there's a different wachakodesh, the divine inspiration. It, it's two different things than, than prophecy. The when you have, for example, prophecy, they see something, and they, the prophets see something with pure clarity. And again, we'll explain what the level of the clarity that, that this is probably next in, in next week's class. But they see something with pure clar- clarity. The, they see something with all its depth and everything that it, that's inside of it. When a sage goes and sees the, receives this Ruach HaKodesh, they're able to receive these like divine concepts. But these divine concepts are, they get different bits and pieces. They get the facts, but they don't understand it to the level that you have that the, pro- the, the clarity and the, and the closeness and the familiarity of the prophet. Does that make sense? You guys understand? That? Like there's the facts, they get the facts of the sages, but they don't get it as close as, the, as, as, the, you know, as clarity as the, as a prophet gets it. So there's like, it's different levels. And this is why the Gemara says in Baba Bata, page 12a, that a sage, a, a chacham, is even greater, superior than a prophet. This also brings down that a sage is superior to a prophet. And by the way, they're not mutually exclusive. They, a sage could be, you know, it could be that. Excuse me. Okay. All right. Can you just tell them to just quiet down in the back? Because you guys are like all, you guys are all going to be on the camera. Now you're leaving. Okay. I should have said that 20 minutes ago. Okay. So the, um, the, um, you know, the idea is over here is that there's a different level of, there's a different level of, of prophecy. Now, it's a lower one. The rabbi, um, the Arizal, what revealed that one of the ways that he was able to get this level of, of close connection to God, this Ruach HaKodesh, was because of the way that he did the mitzvot with joy. You know, you don't realize how loud you scream until it's quiet. And then, you know, you listen to music very loud. You know, you go, like, I had a, you know, they go and be like, whoa, what are you saying? You're like, just take it off. You know, we're in the library. You know, like, you know, it's, you know, there's different, and then, you know, you realize how loud you're talking. Like, see how important it is to realize your surroundings? How people don't even think about it. 
you're sitting in a place where there's a class and they're speaking so loudly, you don't, people don't uh, put the two and two together that maybe they should lower the voices. Um, anyways, so where was I? Okay, now we said that, w- that we said with Ruach HaKodesh. So, oh, here, there's something I wasn't sure if I should, exp- should explain. That reason I said, you want to know what the formula to get Ruach HaKodesh is? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You are, yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah, very, 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 very not simple. But okay, let's do it. That Rizal brings it down in Shari Kedusha. Shari Kedusha, in fact, uh, okay, just bear with me. Shari Kedusha, he brings it down. He says like this, says, Ruach HaKodesh can dwell on any man or woman, Jew or Gentile, if the actions befit it. Now let's see what are the actions I need to do. Number one, I'm not going to number it because it's going to be a lot. You have to repent devoutly from all those sins. Repent devoutly. Number two, you have to... One is like, I'm, de- I'm out. <laughs> like, all right. um, number two, uh, no, no numbers. Next is that the, the soul, when you, when you, when you weigh that you perfect the soul is through positive commandments. When you do these positive commandments, you're doing all the positive very enthusiastically with joy. And you have to be totally, completely mindful during prayer. When you're studying Torah, you're studying Torah enthusiastically. Like how? Like a, like the dedication of an axe to its plow until the point of exhaustion. Until the point that you can't go. And we had, we had rabbis, that, yeah, you had rabbis that would learn until they couldn't make it anymore. Some of them didn't even make it to their bed. That's the point of the exhaustion that they did. Also, you have to keep eating and drinking to a minimum. Right now, all Americans... Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> another, another thing, the, you have to wake up at midnight. And it's not to catch up on, you know, lost... Yeah, okay. Um, you also have to distance yourself from all negative character traits. You also have to avoid unnecessary conversation. You also have to purify your body with your regular immersions of the mikvah. You have to put yourself in solitude for extended periods to contemplate the awe of God. You have to imagine God before your eyes constantly. You have to be careful to free your thoughts and concerns of this world. And you have to cling to God with great love and yearning. And after you do these very, very few things, you will merit, you can merit divine inspiration through one of the following ways, says the Arizal, Shalakadushah. Either number one, you will get drawn down from your soul a supernal light, a, a light that's connected to the soul, to your root soul above. And this is what, this is what you deal with complete Ruach HaKodesh. Number two is that when you perform a mitzvah, when you perform a mitzvah, um, you get an angel. That's the way it works. And when you do a mitzvah, you get an angel. Now this angel, it's like a, a legit angel. Now this angel could actually come to you. And this is known as the, the Magid, uh, the Magidim. The, um, you have, we'll, we'll speak about it soon, about the Rabbi Yosef Karo and his, you know, his connection that he had to this. The, um, this, this angel can reveal himself to you. And it depends on the level of the observance of the mitzvah that you did. Uh, depending, the more righteous that mitzvah did, the more that this angel is going to be, like if you had some mixed emotions, mixed thoughts, bad, you know, bad and good, then there's going to be a mixture in this angel, bad and good. Is that me? Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So now, yeah, let's listen to it again. Let's review. Okay. So now, um, the, okay. Number, that was number two. Number two. Number three. Number three is getting Gilu Eliyahu. It's the getting Eliyahu and now becoming and revealing himself to you. Um, the more that righteous a person is, the more frequent this revelation can happen. And in fact, uh, there is a uh, mention that the, that many of the writings of the Arizal are inspired by Gilu Eliyahu. That he learned with Eliyahu Navi and that's why he was able to get a lot of this information that he was able to get. Number four is that you have an ancient, you know, sage, a big chacham from the, come and, come and reveal himself to you and for whatever reason. Either it could be, uh, because you share the same root of the soul, or it could be because you did a mitzvah the same enthusiastic way that he did it. You had a connection to some particular sage, that sage should come and, uh, visit, uh, visit you. And finally, there is an idea of a dream, prophetic dreams. 
There's also something called a bat call. A bat call is like a voice that emanates from heaven. And this, it's not like, a, it's, uh, you know, um, Tosfos in Sanhedrin, page 11a goes and explains it. It's not like you actually hear the voice. You hear like the echo of the voice. You know, it's like the secondary voice. You hear the echo of the voice. So you hear something, a voice from the distance that comes out from, from heaven and it proclaims some sort of information. The, let's explain a few of these things and we'll finish off. Yeah, we'll finish off with these, uh, with this concept. The, I just realized I forgot. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, let's finish the concept first. There's something that we spoke before about Gila Hamagid. Gila Hamagid means that you have this angel go and come and, and come to you and be able to go and explain to you certain things. It could tell you deep Kabbalistic concepts. It could tell you rebuke. It could give you praise. It could give you many things. We have one of the most famous ones is that we have, there's, uh, it's a, there's a sefer called Magid Meisharim from Rabbi Yosef Karol, who's the author of the Shulchan Aruch, had a visit, uh, you know, very frequent visits that he detailed, that he writes about his visit from this angel. And he writes down, you know, the, the, what happened. This is, uh, this is Rabbi Yosef Karol. The, <clears throat> there's something also called Giloy Hamazal. Yeah, this we didn't, we didn't explain before. This is something very, uh, very interesting, very, very high level also. The Arizal goes and explains that this is a revelation of a root of a person's own soul. So we, we know mazal. Mazal comes from, uh, comes from the word hazala, which means dripping. The way that you have, you have part of your, your mazal is in the heavens and it drips down, um, this, you know, it, it could be, let's say, information. It could be, if you're, if you're worthy of it, it could drip down these messages, sub, you know, Consciously, whatever it is, it, you know, into you. It, you this, this, the mazal is something that you ever, you ever realize, um, I explain it in a, it's something that it's not part of you, it sort of surrounds you. Um, it's like, there's certain parts of the soul. I, I don't know how deep I want to get into it. There's, yeah, like an aura. Yeah, exactly, like an aura. Um, it surrounds you in that, in that aspect. And you have, if you have the ability, if you reach a high enough level, you're able to tap into that. And once you tap into that, you're able to get into a very, very, you know, high, you know, spiritual, uh, you know, level. Um, which is interesting as a side note why people say mazal tov, if it's something that's coming up from, you know, on top and above. I, there, there's, a, there's a lot to speak, uh, you know, you know, about the, about this concept. The, uh, but in general, it's a very, very high level of, um, you know, of, of connecting to the, uh, connecting to the divine. There was, um, something that I meant to, uh, you know, say earlier, and that's why, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I should have spoken to it earlier. I remember when I was speaking about the a concept that, you're put in this world and you want to know what the cost of something is. You need to know. You have to ask, what is the cost of something? And you have to say, okay, you know, like, what am I supposed to do? God put me in this world. There must be a reason for it. If there must be a reason, then I have to go and follow up what the reason is. And that's the Torah, that's the mitzvot that we have to do. And the example that you said, for example, you take an apple. What are you taking an apple? You're saying thank you to God for giving you this apple. You said we say a bracha before and bracha afterwards. You say thank you, you connect there. Then now, the problem is that now, that nowadays, not only do you have people that don't thank God, but they have complaints of God. It says, why does God hate me? And I speak to people like this, you know, you know, unfortunately more often than I would like to, that, you know, are very, very ungrateful and very angry at God. And now, it's an emotion, I can't judge a person for being angry, but we have to understand where this comes from, the anger of God, the, the like, why is God doing this to me? Like, I don't understand, I thought he loves me, why would he do such a thing? The, uh, you know, I'll give you some examples um, in Shiduchim. Like, I have sometimes, let's say, you know, people that are, you know, older, and they didn't get married yet. And they really want to get married. And they say, you know, why is God doing this? Why is God punishing it? And, and I say, why do you blame it on God? I'm like, why are you, why is it God's fault? You're a rotten person. You don't know how to behave. You don't know how to say thank you. You don't know, you know, there are some people that they break up. He didn't buy me anything on my birthday. He doesn't love me. You know what? You should break up with him. Yeah. The reason why you're not getting married, they blame it on God. You don't fix your character traits. Like, you know, you know, like he didn't scream from the rooftops how much he loves me. 
Because he's crazy if he would. Like, that's not the way that it's supposed to go. People are falsely, and you have it from the man's side also. I didn't find my supermodel yet. You'll never find it. You're on the level of the hunchback of Notre Dame. You know, <laughs> stop thinking of yourself as, uh, I don't know, a, a, a male model. I don't know, whatever the highest, uh, you know, whatever it is. Like someone who's really, really deserving of it. You have people that they search this on me, and then you, God doesn't love me. Like, no, you don't love you. You don't know who you are. You have to realize who you are. We go and we complain against God. We blame against God. We're like, I don't understand. How come this didn't happen? We need to realize that maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's your fault and not God's. Like, why are you blaming God? Obviously, you have things that are beyond your fault. Someone gets abused in their kid. I, I'm not feeling about that, those particular, you know, you know, you know, cases. I'm feeling about, you know, like, like things that, like, God might like, come on. Like, and when people come to me with these type of, you know, these type of, you know, situations, you know, dating is a very, very common one that I get. Yeah. From doesn't mean really good, but yeah. But I'm saying like overall they're a good person and yada yada. Like, right. I kind of can't blame them for feeling so frustrated with God. It's true. It's true. And there's, I'm not saying that there's one reason why. I'm not saying the only reason why someone's not getting married is because of yourself. There, obviously, there could be something that, that is from God. But the people that I've spoken to, and not all, everybody, not everybody, I, I, I speak to people that, that really are great people. A particular set of human yeah, beings. a particular set of human beings that I tend to speak to a lot of them, I guess they have my number. <laughs> um, so, you know, these type, these type of people, like, they have to realize, like, it's, you know, like, and I think that's a, the best example is when you deal with dating. You have some people, some things you should be picky about, and some things you should not be picky about. Some things you have no right to be picky about, and some things you have an obligation to be picky about. Like, there's some people that they're like, okay, a religious level doesn't even, no, that's, you should be worried about it. Good character traits, you should be worried about that. Even looks, you should be worried about that. You have to be attracted to the person, but then you have people that they only want the unrealistic. And I'm like, of course you're never going to get married. A woman wants somebody that's going to go and going to be head over heels from her the second that... And and I'm like, you're not deserving of that. I'm sorry. You're not as good as you think you are. Lower your standards for a second and realize who you are. And people, unfortunately, this is not only in dating. Marriage break break up like this. You know what she said to me? You know what he said to me? You know what I mean? They they go and there's there's marriage. Like, stop putting yourself on such a high pedestal and thinking who you are that you know you're everyone has to go and bow down to you. Like everybody has to serve you and everybody has to do that. There's so many problems that come into this because we don't realize and and it's really a lack of gratitude. Why is it a lack of gratitude? Because we think we deserve everything. Now, some people, you're right, it, it falls into that category where they do deserve it. You know, they're really good people. And it could be that it's a divine decree. I don't know, that God didn't want this person to get married for a particular reason. I don't know the reasons. But we have to, the first step that we have to do before blaming God is we have to look into ourselves and think about it. What is the reason? Maybe, maybe there's something that I could do different. And this doesn't only go to Shidduchim, it goes for Panasah, it goes for everything. The idea that we started off with, with Tfilah. How does Tfilah get you something? How does prayer get you something that, yeah, and this is something that I want to speak about when we speak about in Lenten of prayer, but I feel it's important to mention it now. When you pray, if something is supposed to come to you, it's supposed to come to you. If something is not supposed to come to you, it's not. What's prayer going to make a difference? Now, there's many, many answers to this. But one very important answer, when we pray, we're supposed to change ourselves. And that's the idea that if you're just praying, say, God, I have a whole list of things, you're not changing yourself. You're the same person that you are before. So beforehand, you weren't supposed to get it. No, you're not supposed to get it. Nothing really, I mean, you prayed and it's good and it helps a little bit. But it didn't change you. The idea of prayer is, it could be that you are person A. 
And person A was not supposed to be getting this. But all of a sudden you prayed. What did you do when you prayed? We started off that you nullified yourself. You put yourself into no. You realized the greatness of God. You became a different person after a good prayer. You become a different person. You're not person A anymore. Person A wasn't supposed to get that. Person B is supposed to get that. You become a different person. That's how your prayer gets answered. There, there, there is an idea over here that we have to realize. We have to sometimes look internally before we look externally for realizing the source of our problems, the source of our, our issues. Question. Yeah, um, a while ago, like a rabbi gave a speech and he said sometimes that prayers are not answered because... Sometimes people think they really, really want something, but they really don't, and they don't really feel it. They just think they want it, and so that could be... Everything. That's true also. Can you change like, your life by praying for something really hard? It's not, like, can you get something that's not meant for you just yes. by praying really hard? One million Whether percent. Whether it's good or bad, it's to, just not meant for you. Really? Yeah. Yes. Even if it's bad for you? Yes. Well, Even if it's bad for you. You should always add in the prayer that it should be for the best. You could always add that. Yeah. You know, there are, you know, there's... People are able to go and pray for another person, another, like let's say a guy sees a girl and he really wants, and he prays, I want to marry this girl, I want to marry this girl, and he marries this girl. And it wasn't meant for him, it was supposed to be meant for somebody else. Because of his prayer, God said, what am I supposed to do? All right, go. Depend, depending, you know, you should know some people have a very strong connection to prayer and, and, and a little bit, we don't know the connected power that we have. You don't know the soul, the connection you have. Somebody could really pray for 7,000 years and that's going to happen. Somebody else could just make a little prayer on the way walking to work and that's going to answer it. Like we have different, you know, our souls work in different mysterious ways. So it's like, it's very difficult to say like you'll have to pray a million years for it to happen. Not necessarily. Maybe yeah. Maybe not. I mean, you pray, it didn't work. You pray again. That's the you know that's the rule. So if we add, if it's good for me, yes, so our prayers were good. That's okay. a, that's a yeah yeah. I mean yeah to the extent. Before we get any more questions, let me do one recap, and then we'll open up for all the questions. Recap on prophecy. Prophecy. Pro- slow down, <laughs> me. Okay. Yeah. Then focus. I'm focused. That's that's not a problem. Um, the idea with prophecy. Prophecy is one of the 13 principles. You have to believe that, the, that there's such a thing as prophecy. The, the prophets that is true, whatever the prophets, you know, said was written down in the Torah. It is very important because this shows, this is what the Torah stands on. The Torah, the way, the only way that we're able to know what God wants is through this communication. And this communication is known as prophecy. We have to also be very aware that there is prophecy and there is fake prophets. The fake prophets is a very, very important concept that we have to understand because if we realize if someone's a fake prophet, they could cause tremendous amount of trouble, tremendous amount of damage. So we have to realize the difference between a true prophet and a, and a fake prophet. Now, even though prophecy didn't, ex- you know, doesn't exist today like it used to, we still, through great, great attachment to the Torah, through great attachment to the mitzvot, through great go and sacrifice, you're able to reach a high level that you are able to get this type of similar connection to God to be able to even have things, be able to perceive things that regular people do not uh, do not perceive. Now, let's open up for questions. Yes. So and then you. Asks, can someone decide for themselves if a prophet is true based on the criteria, or is it like announced through the rabbis and you have to follow what the rabbis? Oh, good question. So, I mean, it's generally if a, if a prophet is, is becomes a prophet, it's not like someone comes and be like, "Hey, listen, don't tell anybody." I'm a prophet. Okay. My proof is no. Generally, they come out. They the the, pro, the people. They're known as a prophet. They're known as a prophet from when they're younger, whatever it is, and you know when they come. You know, you know that level of prophecy, and everybody knows about it. And once everybody knows about it, it's known that they're a prophet. Then it goes on, and they're able to. Uh... Mashiach is going to be a prophet. Yes, Mashiach is going to be a prophet. And then we're going to get all mixed up and stuff, right? That's why I don't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, not necessarily. But you're talking about right before Mashiach, right? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. It's intuition doesn't necessarily mean it's divine. Um, 
However, there is something about intuition. For example, a woman's intuition is very important. I, you know, I tell husbands to listen to their wife's intuition because it actually, like if a wife says, listen, I don't think you should go to business with this type of guy, listen to her. You know, like the woman can sense different things than, you know, that there is a different level. That doesn't necessarily mean that comes from a divine power. It could also just be from a sensing of who that person is. Like you, you realize, um, without getting too much into, into details in it, we judge people by just looking at them. Now, it's not good, but technically, if you're on a high enough level, and none of us are, so you can't, you know, it's not gonna happen, um, you could tell a person by the level of what he looks like. In fact, Kabbalistically, people that reach a high enough, they're able, there are certain words, I mean, I'm talking about, like, you're talking about really, really high. They could see, you know, letters, Hebrew letters floating around, you know, certain areas and things like that, you know, in your body, depending on the sins, depending on your righteousness level. You are able to, by seeing somebody, sense their holiness and their non-holiness. And in fact, you have even people nowadays that are not so righteous, but they have this power. And I call it a power. You have capital, you have righteous people that have this, they able, you had some, some, uh, you know, rabbis, you know, that they, it was said that they were able to read your face. There, there is an idea of reading your face. You're, you have, so what it could be as a, as a possible explanation is that women have some sort of like extra tapping into this power, maybe, possibly, I don't know, it's my own, my own little, uh, you know, uh, you know, understanding of it, that men maybe do not have as of a clear cut, you know, if we could just separate men and women like that, um, into this. And maybe that's what we could say. The intuition doesn't necessarily mean based off divine information, but just based off reading who that person is. Now, that's my own, you know, interpretation. Maybe, right, maybe you could agree with me, disagree with me, um, but, uh, uh, but it could come from many other things than other divine power. Sorry for the delay question. No, no, no. So, do children or adults or, you know, people with, like, autism or, like, you know, like, disabilities like that have free will? No. So, it says somebody, somebody who is... Um, Somebody who has a, um, I'll explain it like this, somebody whose mind is not, you know, full, you know, with them, they don't have free will. But there are levels of this. Okay. There are some people that have different, and I've had this question asked by me by particular people that have these issues. Let's say they have, you know, some sort of, um, you know, mental disability. Um, and, you know, it could be, you know, it, it could be minor, but, but they could still have free will. Now, again, only God could judge. I can't tell a person, you have free will, you don't have free will. No one knows that. Only God. But you have somebody that's severely mentally disabled, they don't have free will, they're not gonna, they're not gonna punish for anything if they do. They're wrong. Similar like a child, doesn't, you know, doesn't have the free will, doesn't get child, doesn't get the... But they're still here to correct. Yes. Correct. They're still here to correct. And in fact, some of them ha- do have very strong connection to the, to the next world. I'm not crazy about that. I know that. Okay. I don't know. My question is like, so if they're there to, okay, are they there like specifically sometimes to, to kind of get their parents to be better, or like I guess teachers since I'm a teacher, or like? It's hard to say what's the reason. Only God knows. Uh, generally speaking, there is a reason for the for the for that soul to come down, and there's a reason for also the people. Yeah, there's a reason for everything. Let's put it that way. There's a reason for everything. Um, you know, but it's a very, very difficult to say who is the main reason and what's the only God knows that. I want to have a better understanding why they're here, especially the They're here to fix something. They're very high level souls. They're very righteous souls that they have to fix very. It's hard, yeah. It really is. You're right. You have to always put it into your mind. I heard there was a clip that was going around by Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan. I don't know if you guys see this. Amazing. You have to listen to this, uh, to this clip. He was, you know, explaining that. He said, like, every rabbi, every teacher, every parent needs to listen to this. You know, and I don't remember all the things that he said off the top of my head, but it's so, it, it was, the idea was, is that he was, you know, like, you know, like, there's a five-year-old, and they're screaming, and they're kicking, and they're doing all these things, and the rabbi says, a chutzpah, how dare you do this? How do you act? He's five. Relax. 
he doesn't, you know, like, going against you. Like, we, we have to realize, you have to take a step back for a second. And children get on our nerves, and, you know, especially teachers and things like that. You have to take a step back for a second and realize you're dealing with a child. Yeah? They have the mental capacity of a child. They think like a child. They don't think, you know, like, let's cause problems. Sometimes they're wild. This is not things that happen just because they're children. And this, you know, as a teacher and somebody who is, or a parent, you really have to put this in perspective. If you lose it out of these things, you have to figure out if this is the right profession. Very mindful, though. Yeah. Sometimes you forget. Like, you're right, you're right. Yeah, you're right, you're right. But something that a person, you know, and, you know, people get burnt out and they go this, and how much can you hear with the screaming children again and again? And how many times could you have to wipe a kid's nose against your sleeve? You know, like, again, the teachers have plenty of, plenty of, plenty to speak about. But the ultimate reason is you have to realize, you have to really put it in perspective, it's a child. It's a child. Some adults, I say that also. They're just children. Any other questions? Yes. No questions. No other questions. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.